You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're listening to episode 166 of Talk with Renee Dallow. Talk about fear and intuition with Hunter Louder. Hunter Louder is the co-owner of Tortoise and the Bear, a business strategy, operations, and mindset coaching company that supports visionaries in bringing their wild and crazy dreams to life. Coupling her past business experience as a CEO of a multi-million dollar wedding company with mindful coaching approaches, Hunter helps service-based business owners create and prioritize a strategic plan to grow their impact and move their business forward in a sustainable way. After suffering severe burnout as a CEO in the wedding industry, Hunter is passionate about building a business in alignment with her values. When she's not helping clients fine-tune their operations, she's likely dancing and singing karaoke with her husband, feeding her son's football team, or hanging out at the beach with her fur babies. Hunter is here to spill the real tea on what her burnout looked like, how she pivoted out of it, and what's the difference between fear and intuition anyway. So go grab your coffee, grab your tea, and let's talk it out. Welcome to Talk with Renee Dallow, this chat for wedding pros and creatives. Tune in every week for no BS real talk from industry experts that want to help you thrive in your business and your life. Here's your host, event planner, educator, and sushi addict, Renee Dallow. Grab a glass and get ready to talk it out. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Talk with Renee Dallow. It is me, your girl, Renee Dallow. It is a new year, and I'm here with the fabulous Hunter Louder from Tortoise and the Bear. Hunter, how are you? I'm doing great today, Renee. How about yourself? You know, I can't complain. <laughs> Wonderful. It is. I'm excited for the new year. How are you feeling? Mm-hmm. Are you a resolution maker in this new year? Uh, I don't think I'm a resolution maker in the sense of like, here's a list of things. It's almost mm-hmm. like a wish list more, yeah. uh, like an intention. Like here's how I'd like my whole yes. year to go. And I typically set kind of bigger goals for the year versus just those, you know, ones that you forget about mid-January. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. Yeah. I'm kind of like a, a chronic resolution maker, but it, again, okay. like you, it's not resolutions. It's just like, this is what I want to accomplish this year. Yeah. And like it's big goals, it's small goals, it's all the things, but I really mm-hmm. get like, very rejuvenated by the new year absolutely we, we use it as a time to really clean our house so we you know get rid of yes. everything that we haven't used that's broken that doesn't work anymore and like right now my house is just in such a mess and i but i love that feeling when you're done of like wow i was able to get rid of all this stuff and kind of start over with new things and then move forward into the year with all these great intentions hopefully yes so our conversation today is going to cover a few things right so a few things like how to reverse engineer business growth, the difference between fear and intuition. But before we even get there, you used to be in the wedding industry. So like walk me through what you did and how you got out. <laughs> <laughs> how I escaped. Exactly. Um, no, I was I was uh, totally obsessed with the hospitality and wedding industry for most of my life. So after I graduated college, I went to culinary school. 
uh, outside of Philadelphia, and then I moved to California, and my family uh, decided to buy a wedding and event venue in Central California that was a winery and had vineyards because they have always had this dream of making wine. So my dad came to me and said, I want you to run the wedding part of this uh, business. And I said, I'm in the restaurant industry. Like I've run restaurants for, you know, five years now. I don't know anything about weddings. And he said, it's pretty much the same thing, <laughs> which I was like, that's such a man response. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> it so isn't, but I love that reply. It's like, you can do it. You're fine. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's people and they're doing things. So fortunately, my husband had actually been a wedding DJ for about 10 years before I met him. So he knew a ton about weddings. So the two of us together basically figured out how to uh, build this venue, uh, which was a 400 acre ranch with a historic hacienda, had guest rooms, a horse stables, vineyard, winery, and a restaurant. So I always say, I pretty much did everything in the hospitality industry you could possibly imagine. Um, and I loved it. I started off as an event manager and I worked my way up to the CEO of the company, which became a multi seven figure company. And then I had a massive burnout. Um, so my, cho my choice to leave wasn't so much like, okay, bye guys, I'm going to go pursue something different. <laughs> it was more like, if I don't leave this career, I'm probably gonna have a heart attack before I'm 40 years old. And if I have a heart attack, then I can't have a career anyway. So I need to leave and take time to heal. Yeah. Can you, can I ask, what did your burnout look like? Like physically? Yes, absolutely. It started off kind of slow. I think that's the problem is it starts off really slow. And for people like myself and a lot of wedding industry people, especially planners who are like super type A driven, like they love the chaos and the nights and the weekends and the energy Like they really get off on that. And then all of a sudden you're not as excited as you used to be about it. You're really getting tired. You're not sleeping well. You're irritable. Your energy is just like super depleted because your hormones, I think especially with women, your hormones are all out of whack because you're just constantly in that like fight or flight. Um, so for me, I started having the biggest one that woke me up when I started having heart palpitations. Like I would just oh, be sitting there. Yes. I would just be sitting there and my heart was like, we're running a marathon right now. I'm like, we're not, <laughs> I'm sitting here in front of my computer. So I went to the doctor the doctors were like, there's nothing wrong with your heart. You're totally fine. I'm like, there is something wrong with my heart. And so I really started doing some research into what was going on with me if it wasn't something that was purely physical. And that's really when I started learning about, you know, adrenal fatigue and hormonal issues and burnout. Yes. And I was like, oh, that's what that is. Yeah. I, I wanted to just put some language around what burnout was for you, because I think we've been talking about it, you know, with a little more regularity in this in mm -hmm. this aftermath of you know lockdown and the pandemic. But I don't I think now it's like, well, I'm so burnt out has become the mm -hmm. new like you know, the new kind of buzzword. And, and I'm not saying that people aren't burnt out. Yeah. I just think that it looks so different for for everyone. And so it's thank you for sharing the like what it felt like for you, because I think that provides a lot of clarity for someone who might be feeling mm -hmm. those things and not have a name for it or even feeling one or two of those things and being like, Nana, I'm going to push through. It's mm -hmm. like it yeah. isn't always about pushing through. Sometimes it yeah. is about resting and often and then other times it's about examining and then pivoting. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you're experiencing burnout. You were obviously feeling these physical symptoms and you said, okay, enough. I have to pivot. What was, how did you pivot and what was the first thing you did? Oh, it was, you know, such a scary time because, you know, you said with burnout, it really is categorized as like extreme exhaustion. So yeah. it's almost like, do I even have the energy, the wherewithal, like the ability to heal, which requires, you know, a lot of mental and physical and emotional energy as well. So what I did is I um, spoke with my family, uh, which was another, you know, source of stress because it was a family business. And I was like, I don't want to let you guys down. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, leave you hanging. But at the same time, I need to take care of myself. And they were just wonderful. You know, they're like, your health is our top priority. Like, this is just a business. We'll figure it out. Um, so I waited That's about great. six months for them to find somebody to replace me. And then I essentially... 
uh, <laughs> burned the bridges where I uh, sold everything that I owned, sold my home, and decided to move down to San Diego to live on a boat. Ah, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, I love this. So, you know, here's what's funny. Uh, not, I mean, funny is I always say things are funny, but this is just interesting to me, right? So I, um, I do this program every year called um, Bizish, right? Business. It's called like it, honestly, it's like I wanted to call it like get your business shit together, but yeah. <laughs> can't call it that. And one of the things we talk about in that program is something that I learned from a life coach uh, named Molly Mayhar about these the cycle of years, right? And um, one of the, and the way she frames it is like there are years of growth, mm. there are years of mastery. There are years of destruction. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and when I hear like, so I quit everything. I went down to San Diego and lived on a boat. I'm like, well, that was your destruction. And that after destruction, destruction comes growth. So it's like, yeah, exactly. I, it's, I hear it and other people might hear it and be like, oh my God, what is she doing? And I'm like, nope, you're on the right track, sister, because you're heading toward growth. And then, yeah, I, and in that moment, I, I was just the insane person that was, my family was like, what are you doing? You went right, from being, people you know, who, the CEO. Yeah, exactly. Like, without super any responsible. sort of framework, they're like, oh my God, what's she uh, doing? I'm like, no, 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 this is good. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you Absolutely. moved to a boat. So mm -hmm. I know someone else who lived on a boat and she loved it, but also was like, yeah. it's a lot of adjustment. Did you find the same? Oh, it definitely was a lot of adjustment. You know, it was my husband and we have a teenage son and we had three dogs. So it was quite oh a little God. circus. <laughs> Uh, on the boat, you know, but it was a two bedroom, uh, two bathroom boat with uh, a kitchen and a little living room area. And it was actually really fun. And we would just kind of leave for the day and go work in coffee shops, take our son to school. And but when the pandemic hit, it was just not feasible to have two yes. people working from home, a child doing school from home, three dogs. So we had to make the unfortunate decision to move back to land. Oh, but yeah. you got your time on the boat. And that's probably I did, very yeah, for a year, like a very motivational, inspirational time, I would imagine. I felt like I was really gaming the system because I was like, I'm living on the ocean in San Diego and paying less than my friends do for a studio <laughs> apartment. <laughs> I felt very uh, clever. <laughs> love it. So is that when you started Tortoise and the Bear or was it after the, the boat living? It was after that. So one of the biggest things that happened to me when I left my career is I did not realize at the time how tied to my career my identity was. Oh my like gosh. I was so my many career. wedding pros are that way though. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Because it's, yeah. it's such a, a passion. It's such a labor of love. It's like, if you're not crazy in love with the wedding industry, it's going to eat you up and spit you out. And so <laughs> people so really f flock to it when they love it because it just fits their personality so well. So when I left my career, I was like, okay, all of my connections, all of my friends, all my stories, all my experiences, all my beliefs, like are just tied up into this identity of, of who I was and what I was doing. And now it didn't fit anymore. And so now I wasn't part of that world. So it's almost like I lost... Um, all of that at, at one time. And yeah. there was a little bit of mourning and I think kind of surprise. And I lived in a small town. I would run into people and they're like, oh, how's the ranch? And I'm like, I haven't been there for two years. You know, <laughs> like you obviously don't know me very well. And I was just like, I yeah. need to get out of this environment and kind of start all over again. So we decided to move to San Diego, uh, which is a you know big city. We thought there'd be like so much more opportunities and things to do and just kind of like a new beginning uh, to start over. So at first, I thought I wanted to actually be a coach. So I got a ton of coaching certifications and I thought I was going to help other women like me uh, either overcome burnout or avoid it altogether. Uh, but when I started coaching, I realized that I am way too opinionated to be a coach. I need to be a consultant <laughs> because I tell people, here's the things that you need to do versus coaches are like, look for the answer inside you and let's ask all yeah. these questions. And I That's love funny. coaches. I just got yeah. my, I've just completed my coaching training right now. So. Oh, great. <laughs> 
So it's funny that you said that. Yeah, it's exactly, yeah. It's exactly right. And people have a lot of misconceptions about mm-hmm. what coaching actually is. And so I'm glad you pointed that out because we're going to actually address that in a future episode. So thanks, Hunter, oh, for laying great. that groundwork for me. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's like it's like sports. You know, the coach is not out there on the field throwing the That's ball. Right. The coach is helping the That's player right. overcome whatever limitations they're having about throwing the ball. You know, so exactly. I was like, that's not my my jam. My jam is definitely more uh, direct, <laughs> you know, said with love. But like, here's what you need to be doing. Um, so I actually ended up accidentally starting my business about two and a half years ago where a woman from one of my certifications was actually looking for an executive operations assistant. And during my healing, there was actually a, a good period of time for a couple of years where I actually didn't even know if I was going to be able to return to the workforce. You know, I was this like force of nature. My nickname at my job was the queen of everything. And after my burnout, I was like a shivering chihuahua in the corner. Just well, like that's such a deal. great image. I mean, I'm sorry that you went through that, but that's a very yeah. if, if you didn't know what burnout was before, you can you can contextualize <laughs> it now. Thank you for that. Exactly. I mean, it's life changing. I think you go from, you know, being this bold, you know, force of nature and energy. And then it's just like, OK, that actually hurt me. That was actually detrimental to me. And so you almost like shrink down, like, don't look at me. Don't talk to me. Don't you know, don't be around me by any means. Um, so I applied for that job as the executive operations assistant with a coaching company. And I've been working with them as their operations manager for the past two and a half years and then decided to put a one on one like VIP offer out there about six months ago so that people who weren't ready for a retainer could still work with me and get their sales and visibility system together. I love that. And you also work with those who identify as introverted and neurodiverse, mm-hmm. which yes. I think if we can talk about for a sec, because uh, I did an episode uh, a little uh, that touched on neurodivergent uh, a little bit last year, and I got a lot of feedback that was like, more please. And I was like, okay. Mm. So yeah. what are you neurodivergent or you just, is that just a, a specialty of yours? I am not, but my son is. Um, ah. So having a son, so my son was actually adopted. So that's why it's kind of an interesting situation. You have a lot of people that have biological parents and then they're getting diagnosed with, you know, ADHD, dyslexia, et cetera. And then the parents are like, I, I think I have that too. <laughs> I think that's something that no one ever pointed out to me. But for us, it was quite the opposite where we're looking at our child and like, why is he struggling? Like, why is this hard? Why is this a problem? You know, why is he different from us as far as how he retains information and yeah. uh, and and learns and absorbs and everything else? And so we got him tested when he was pretty young and he has um, dyslexia, ADHD, dysgraphia, and some executive functioning and everything else. So as I'm in the online world, what I love about the online space is that you can make these accommodations for people as far as how they absorb information. Some people are very visual, some people are very auditory, some people are very kinesthetic, and I love being able to change things up and deliver the information in a way that they're like, oh great, I can now move forward with this versus my brain doesn't work that way. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. I think everyone who is in education or coach or even consultant space like you are, really has to take a look at what we're offering um, and make sure that, like, I'm not neurodivergent, but I've put a lot of um, time and attention into doing the research to make sure that what I'm putting out there is accessible, or at least more accessible than it was if it's not perfect, you know, mm-hmm. because there are so many different ways to learn. And it's funny, we used to see it pre-pandemic, we say it all the time, like, well, some people are auditory, like, we would say it in that way. But I think um, the pandemic really gave us, I mean, strange to say, but a lot of gifts and i think one of them is the the awareness now that just wasn't there before like with tiktok mm-hmm. and instagram and all this um yeah. just like even anecdotal you know information that wasn't out there a couple of years ago it's really great and i think just more powerful that we know you know mm-hmm. 
And I think once you know, then you can start making changes and really making up for the situations that aren't ideal for people that are neurodiverse or introverted. So I always say I like working with anybody that doesn't live their life the way quote unquote society says you have to live your life. Right. So anything that like you're quirky or the, all the gurus are like, oh, you need to do this. You're like, I hate doing that. It doesn't mean you can't have a successful business. It just means you need to find the way that works for you. And I think also believe that there is a way that works for you. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. In, in so many ways. One of the things I want to ask you about is as you were, you know, pivoting and, and, you know, starting Tortoise and the Bear and, you know, having that identity crisis in a way, um, did you ever experience like some fear and, and how did you know, like that you had to follow your gut and sort of move on and, and start this new venture? Absolutely. So I would say I felt a lot of fear a lot of times. <laughs> you know, it was it was constant <laughs> fight or flight. I mean, that's part of burnout too, is it's a constant fight or flight that you just never get out of that situation. So it's always that a you know, that a saber tooth tiger is chasing you every single day and night. Um, so there was just so much fear. There was fear of success, there was fear of failure, there was fear of judgment, there was fear of not being able to work again and not being able to make money and support my family. And like I was just afraid of not healing of uh, you know, frankly, of dying. I just was afraid of everything. And as I started to heal and I started to learn more about myself and, you know, self-discovery was such a huge thing for me because I really wanted to find out who I was and then, you know, recreate my identity that was not dependent on, you know, what I did or, or my career. Um, so I really started getting into uh, a little bit of the woo and spirituality and like the intuition. And one of the biggest lessons I learned, and it probably took me a year and I, I still practice it almost daily, is what is the difference between fear and intuition? When you live in your head and you're a very like analytical driven person like I am, you're so disconnected from your body. So sometimes fear and intuition can feel exactly the same way and it's hard to know how to make decisions. So I really dove into that uh, when I was recovering from my burnout. Yeah. And what did you decide for yourself? So a lot of it is just reconnecting with the body, yeah. um, which sounds yeah. a lot easier than it really is. I but know, it's like, right? Okay. It sounds like, oh yeah, you have a body. It's like, yeah, yeah but mostly I'm a head. I'm sorry, but mostly I'm my brain. Yeah. Mostly, exactly. And I think we're just so disconnected from our bodies. It's not popular to, you know, have those gut feelings. It's a little weird, but uh, almost feeling like what does a gut feeling or intuition feel like to you? And are you not doing something because you're afraid or are you not doing something because you know, you just have that deep knowing that you shouldn't. And that can be figured out through, you know, meditation, journaling, like yes. not making decisions quickly, just maybe taking a week to make a decision and really think through it. And am I avoiding this because I'm afraid or am I avoiding this because legitimately I should not be doing this. And right. it's, it's subtle. It takes time. It takes practice. But I think it's very, very worth it in the end because otherwise it's just hard to make decisions if you can't tell the difference. No, absolutely. You said my two favorite words, journaling and meditation, both of mm. which I think everyone needs to be doing a lot more of. And, you know, yes. it's interesting because like we're both from California and like it's like, OK, we can talk about the woo, but the woo exists <laughs> because it works, y'all. So like and you're like me, it's so woo woo. I'm like, well, talk to me after you've journaled every day for a year and you're going to be a different <laughs> human and then you, we can have a conversation. What's interesting for me is that like the difference for me between fear and into and like that gut feeling, right, is that oftentimes like I just think my fear is a liar a lot of times. Like the things mm -hmm. that I'm afraid of aren't actually going to hurt me or kill me. It's right. just my own limiting beliefs on things. For me, I have done so much self-development on like trusting my intuition and my gut that now when someone generally it's for me, it's in response to an inquiry, right? Someone is asking me to do something and 
And my, my physical response to that will tell me all I need to know, right? If it's like I got asked to do something and it's like deep well of like like a feeling in your gut that goes like, gunk, you know, I'm like, okay, that's a no. But if someone mm-hmm. says something to me and it makes me feel sort of lighter, like, oh, okay, like lit up, then I'm like, okay, well, that might be a yes. I still tend to take a couple of days to think about it, mm-hmm. but I'm much better at knowing when it's like dread. <laughs> <laughs> dread because like oh no this is something that this person wants and needs and so- not something that i want and need that is yes. a real it's really powerful to get to the place where you can trust yourself with that absolutely when you were talking what was coming up for me is uh, an easy way to get started with this i think with journaling or meditating is to use the question why yes. so something comes up and you're like i don't want to do this or i do want to do this and you want to see is this fear or intuition and, and, it, and that can even be for a positive opportunity because let's say you have a positive opportunity and you're hesitating because maybe the only reason that you would take it is to impress your family or yeah. to have prestige. But then you're yeah. like, is it worth the headache? Is it worth the, you know, the extra work and the stress? So I always like looking at the question, why? So why do you want this or why do you not want this? You know, what would happen if you do this? What would happen if you don't do this? And then just keep asking that question because you, you kind of have to get down a few levels mm-hmm. until you get to the point where you're like, yep, I don't want to do this, or, oh no, I'm actually feeling really good about this, let me go ahead and move into this opportunity, and understand that I'm nervous, because it's new, and it's exciting, but I'm not doing it in a way that's either towards or away from the fear. Yeah, totally. I also think, too, sometimes um, the hesitation can be, for some folks, and for me included, right, like, an opportunity presents itself, and maybe it doesn't seem like the perfect opportunity, but -hmm. it's like a stepping stone on a ladder that gets you to the other opportunity that you want, And like, that's the conversation sometimes I have with myself. It's like, okay, well, is this a stepping stone to something else I want? Or is this a dead end? Mm. And that's important too, you know, Mm -hmm. I love it. So let's talk about reverse engineering because I, I know what it means. And I think, I think most people take, take a second, know what it means, but how do we use that in our business? Absolutely. So what I found after recovering from burnout and starting my own business and working with my clients is, you know, people have these goals and the goals might be six months, a year, three years, five years, you know, down the road. And the farther out the goal and the bigger the goal, I think the more overwhelmed people get because it's almost like, what do I need to do on Tuesday? (laughs) <laughs> to get to that goal, you know, a year from now. And it's just like, right. I can't even see the line from Tuesday to a year from now. Yeah, um, So exactly. So that's why we do reverse engineering where we look at their goals and we set their goals. And we obviously make sure that they are smart goals and they have all those uh, categorized, uh, categories uh, accommodated. And then we break it down into smaller steps. So if this is your year goal, then I look at what do you need to do every quarter? And then what do you need to do every month? What do you need to do every week? And then eventually what do you need to do every Tuesday? to reach your goals, that it really makes it just so much more digestible so that it's like, oh great, I'm excited to do these three things today to reach my goal in a year. And it doesn't seem like there's such a huge gap between where you are today and where you wanna be. Right. What about the knowledge gap though that sometimes happens between those big goals and the day-to-day? Cause sometimes I mean like, I think sometimes it's impo- it's important and also powerful to be like, okay, I'm gonna dream huge. I'm gonna do this big dream. And then like, oh shoot, I don't know how to get there from here. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the letters in SMART goals is R for realistic. And that, and that's what happens a lot of times is people make these goals and aren't realistic. And yeah. what you're talking about reminds me so much of when I was in the wedding industry and people would come in and say, do you think I need a wedding planner? 
And I would say there's a reason why people make that their career. Like yeah. they are needed, they are necessary, they are important. Can you have a wedding without a wedding planner? Yes. But is it going to be as flawless, as supportive, as easy, as wonderful, making all your dreams come true? Because that's what wedding planners do. They basically reverse engineer the mm -hmm. client's wedding dreams into actionable steps leading yep. up to the day of the wedding. Yes, they you do. know, so that's the way I look at it. Is like, can you have a goal without reverse engineering or with, with a knowledge gap? Yes. But would it be better to maybe break that goal down into the smaller goals even and then you'll be able to accomplish them. And what I'm really trying to do is help people avoid that failure where they set themselves up for failure mm -hmm. and then they're like, I'm a failure. And it's like, no, you're not. You just didn't quite plan it out correctly. Like you probably could have accomplished this goal in two years, right. uh, but instead you chose one year. And that's why I'm a big proponent of having some kind of outside influence and source in your business, especially as entrepreneurs, whether that's a coach, a partner, a friend, an accountability group, a mastermind, a consultant, like you need those outside eyes in order to grow your business at a certain yeah. point. No, I, I agree 100%. I think we're all way too close to our businesses. And even <laughs> yeah. if, especially if you have a team, you're way too close to the team and the team is too close mm -hmm. to you to really mm -hmm. get the perspective you need to do that visionary work. Yes. In your experience with wedding pros, how much, like, I don't want to say percentage wise, but like an anecdotal thing, like, do you think most wedding pros are visionaries or do you think most of them are just sort of like in the thick of the business? I would say most wedding pros are in the thick of the business. I would identify them more as creatives. Yeah. Um, you know, they are they are producing a product almost like a, an artist or a writer where they are producing a product uh, with their creative ideas and energy. And obviously, depending on the role, you know, venue managers, wedding planners definitely have more logistics abilities than, let's yeah. say, like um, a photographer who might be purely much more on the artistic side. Yeah. Um, so I always identify wedding uh, pros as creatives. I agree. I feel like there is um, a lot of power into stepping into that visionary role. Um, even if you're stepping in, taking a look around, stepping back out <laughs> into the creator mm -hmm, mm -hmm. part, because I think without the vision, it is hard to like forecast. It is hard to even make those smart goals if you're just like head down in the business. What do you think about that? No, I agree. And what I've been seeing recently, I'm sure since the pandemic as well, is that you have, for example, like a wedding planner, and now she teaches people how to be wedding planners, or right. she provides templates and swipes and courses and support. That person is a visionary, like that right. part of her business is the visionary side. So it's almost like you have two businesses, one where you are the creative, where you are producing something for this event. And then if you decide to scale or have another income source, which I think is a fantastic idea, especially with everything with the pandemic and just getting older and people don't want to necessarily show up to events all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to like sit behind their computer and teach other people you know, how to do their brilliance. Um, then that's where that person can then be a visionary in that side of the business. Yeah. I mean, that's how it happened for me. I'm a visionary mm -hmm. in my education brand and public speaking and podcast. And in Moxie mm -hmm. Right, I'm I'm a, I'm the wedding planner, you know, and, exactly. Yeah. And it is interesting wearing those two hats. And I definitely have one that I favor more. Not going to tell you all <laughs> which one you could guess. Um, but it is interesting to get more comfortable in that visionary role. Um, but there's something you said in our notes that I wanted to hit on. You talk about how to prioritize strategic objectives, which are the visionary's nightmare by identifying <laughs> the areas of lowest satisfaction. Talk to me about mm -hmm. that. So this came from one of my coaching trainings where I'm not sure if you've heard about the wheel of life assessment. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. okay. love it. So the wheel of life assessment I love is such a simple thing. You can literally go on Google right now, look up wheel of life. You can print it out or upload it to your iPad, whatever. And it's just this wheel that has the different areas of life and they might vary depending on where you're looking, but essentially family relationships, wealth, health, career, etc. And it's this circle 
where each section is even and you go through and you rate on a scale of one to five or one to ten uh, your level of satisfaction with each of those areas um, you know ten being the highest one being the lowest and then you look at the areas where you have lowest satisfaction and that's actually the areas that you need to work on because the areas where you're happy yeah great leave them there that they're doing great these are the areas that you need to focus on to kind of have that holistic um, ecosystem of you know life satisfaction and so what I did is I took that same concept and made like a wheel of business where it has the seven strategic objectives that every business needs to be uh, successful and lay a solid foundation and grow and scale and really you know survive more than a couple of years, which is kind of the uh, internet, you know, <laughs> like half-life. And they look at those areas in their business and that can be financial, product development, um, client services, uh, team scaling, personal development, etc. And they rate the areas where they're feeling uh, either satisfied or confident. Um, so for example, they might be like, I'm amazing at customer delivery. My customers love me. I have great testimonials. It's so wonderful, but they don't know any of their financials. Like what's their most profitable, <laughs> right. you know, program, right. like how much are they spending? What's their revenue? And so that would be the area that I would say, okay, we need to focus on finances. No, I agree. And I think that's so powerful. And I think a lot of times we shy away, especially earlier in our business from the things we're not good at. And that's part of the visionary role is to figure it out. And mm -hmm. if you don't want to do it, outsource it. Outsourcing yes. is my favorite thing in the world to do. I am so like, I get so giddy when I get to pay people. I love it so much. <laughs> like, please, please do the things I don't want to do. Um, <laughs> it's like a high. It's like a momentary high. It is. Well, it's like, you know what I think about, I always try to keep, uh, keep my eye on the idea or not the idea the reality, right? That I created this business from nothing. Mm -hmm. I didn't buy it or inherit it. I literally said one day I was like, you know what? It's going to be wedding planning. And then one day I was mm -hmm. like, you know what? I'm going to speak on stages. And then, you know what? I'm going to make a course. You know what? I'm going to have a <laughs> podcast. Like all of this came from my brain and it is really always amazing and powerful to me that I get to help other people now because I've yes. been successful. Like I never take that part, that part for granted. So stepping more into the visionary role for me, at least, and my encouragement for those listening, it's like, there's no downside to stepping into the visionary role. Like, Yes, you might at some level think like, well, now I have more work to do or now, oh gosh, I have too many ideas. It's like, that's a quality problem and you can just hire people to help you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There are experts out there that are wonderful at the things that you struggle with and you are wonderful at the things that they struggle with. Like we're all geniuses to someone else. <laughs> I love <you> that. Know? <laughs> I love that. Before I let you go, I want to take it a little full circle back to the burnout conversation at the top of our, mm -hmm. of our chat. Were there any things that you, looking back with that 2020 hindsight that we often have on our own lives, mm. are there anything you can point to before you got to the burnout stage where you could have been like, oh God, maybe if I just did one or two or three things differently, I could have avoided the burnout? Or do you think it was inevitable? Oh, I, I don't think it was inevitable by any means. I think the way that I lived my life and the beliefs that I had, um, the definitions of success that I had, you know, led to that. So if I had been this, you know, wonderful, evolved, you know, self-discovery human being that I am today, it probably would not have happened. But then again, I don't think I would have gone down that journey <laughs> if it hadn't have happened either, because if everything's fine, everything's fine. Right. Um, so for me, it was really recognizing that the way you think things have to be done is not the way things have to be done. And the first step I took when I burned out was to actually eliminate words like should, must, mm. have to, mm -hmm. um, even need to from my vocabulary because I realized that's what I was saying all the time was like, I have to do this. Yep. Not I want to do this or I get to do this or I'm excited to do this, but I have to do this. So I think yeah. people who are in that extreme exhaustion, if you are living your life 
based off of what you think you have to do or what you were told you have to do, that's probably a good first warning sign. I love that. I also tend to play a game with myself when I find myself in that, well, I have to do it. I ask myself, can only I do it though? <laughs> yeah. Is it, can do I, I have to do it? <laughs> am I the only one who can mm -hmm. load the dishwasher? Am I the only yeah. one who can, you know, download that file? Like, no, mm -hmm. some things can go on, on the other, for other people list. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's a wonderful thing to look at is just, is this dependent upon you? And that is part of stepping that visionary role is, you know, what are those $1 tasks, $10 tasks, $1,000 tasks? Um, as a visionary, as a CEO, you do not need to be doing the $1 and $10 tasks. Uh, you know, I you love need that, to the $1 and $10 tasks. I love mm -hmm. it. Which need to happen. I mean, email needs to be responded to, calendars sure. need to be organized, paperwork needs to be filed, bookkeeping needs to be done. However, you don't need to be the one doing it. And to really look at the budget, because a lot of people are like, well, outsource, I can't outsource, I don't have the financial uh, means to outsource, but really looking at what are you spending money on, what are you spending time on, because an ROI, return on investment, isn't necessarily just financial. It isn't, it no. Can be, it could be time, it could be less stress, it could be happiness. So to really look at you know your financials, and obviously I'm not in people's wallets, but try and see, like, can I hire a VA for five hours a week to yes. do this thing that I hate doing? Yes. And then that frees me up to do more sales calls, which makes me more money so that I'm able to afford this person. So it's like time to get creative so that you can help yourself. And I'll say, once you have that person on your team and and you see the benefit, you're like, I'll do anything to keep them on. Like, I will figure <laughs> yeah. it out. I will launch a new something. I will get scrappy. Mm -hmm. I will create. I will cut back other things like you have to prioritize you know and that's yes. that's just part of that of that visionary mode i want to talk about your customer journey audit that you're offering to our listeners yes. will you explain it to us please Absolutely. So uh, one of the things I do in my uh, offer, which is called Discover Your Path, is I do a, a customer journey audit. And so your customer journey is basically from when the clients find you, wh wherever they find you, whether it's online, in person, networking event, website, all the way to them either becoming a client or not becoming a client. And like, how do you entice them, follow up with them, nurture them, uh, engage with them to really have that journey be a memorable one? Because especially in the wedding world, there's so many wonderful, talented people out there. And it's like, how do I set myself apart from my competition? And so the customer journey audit, one thing that I do with my clients is I do everything personality based. So we look at all your personality assessments so that I can get like a really fast track vision of who you are Ooh, and that. your values and what you stand for. And then I give you a customized recorded audit of at least three easy actionable suggestions that you can implement right away that should help you increase your cash flow, profitability and impact. That's amazing. You're giving that to the listeners for free? I'm giving it to podcast listeners for free, what? not everybody, just the people that listen to your show. Do not sleep on this. <laughs> Do not sleep on this. First of all, I love that it's personality based because I'm mm -hmm. totally a nerd for all of that. 100%. Oh, I'm, like, awesome. I'm like, I'm an Enneagram three. I'm an ENTJ. Uh -huh. I'm a four tendencies rebel. Like I'll tell you all of them. I'm <laughs> I a manifesting it. generator. Like I, I know mm -hmm. them all. I know them all. So I love that oh, that's perfect. what you base it on. But also like in this early time of year, when we're still in engagement season, when people are still setting up their calendars mm -hmm. for 2023, like guys jump on this now because I just think information is power. And the more we know and the more people we have that we trust speaking into our business, the more we grow. Absolutely. And sometimes there's just a really simple tweak you can make that you're basically leaving money on the table. And if you just make one simple tweak, it's all of a sudden can just 
uh, free up that flow of income. Yes, 100%. Hunter, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I think this is just, we touched on so many amazing things. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed uh, dipping back into the wedding world. <laughs> It'll always be here if you want to come back. Absolutely. Just kidding. Just kidding, You got out. We're proud of you. Listeners, <laughs> thank you for spending your time with us today. You know what I always say and will continue to say because I want you to know it. Your time is very valuable, and I know it's the only thing you cannot make any more of, so I'm always very grateful that you spend it with us. We will see you next week, same time, same place. Bye for now, friends. Thanks for listening to Talk with Renee Dallow. Dive into the show notes at reneedallow.com forward slash podcast and connect with Renee at Talk with Renee Dallow on Instagram.